Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 14 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Lost Identities. Our teacher is Alan Smith. So Lord Jesus, be with us this day and be with us with your Holy Spirit and power and revelation. And we ask and pray, O oh God, that you give all of our minds an openness to your word and your will and your way so that we can be aware of these things that are around us and how we're to cope with them, how we're to deal with them, and how we're to have joy and peace in the middle of all of it. Be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we can see that as in the days of Noah has been our topic. It's amazing how many uh, much response that I get on the different ideas from people of what is going on uh, or what do we think that's going on in these days and these times. You know, we got to, we got the world situation, what's going on in the world. Then we got our own personal lives that we're living within this world and within this chaos. And as we're doing this study, it's not like there hasn't been chaos in the world before as in the days of Noah. There's always been chaos. But it's, uh, I mean, it's no doubt that we are closer to his return than it's ever been before, just out of reasoning. We know that we're closer to the second coming of Christ uh, than it's ever been before. And the Scriptures gives us some ideas, mainly Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, it's the what we call the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus is explaining, actually begins talking to four of his disciples on the Mount of Olives at night and uh, saying what it will look like uh, at his return and at the second coming and in what we call the last days. So the verse that we were building this teaching around is Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, we're, where we're uh, coming into this teaching today, it's assuming that, you're, that you've seen all the teachings up to now, so I, I can't recapture everything as we go. So I just have to, if you're just now coming in on the teachings, some things might be a little disjointed, but there is more information in previous teachings. Now, the days of Noah gives us an understanding of Bible prophecy and and how Bible uh, prophecy works. There is a, um, when we use the terminology prophecy, uh, some people re think that that's just talking about biblical prophecy. Uh, there were uh, the witches of Endor, the, uh, there is, there's a satanic or dark side of prophecy, if you will, of predicting uh, future, and of uh, um, the Bible calls it also soothsaying. That's the reason in biblical, um, being the prophetic, that we're not to get into future telling. But the days of Noah gives us revelation when we study in the days of Noah uh, about Bible prophecy. Now, what you've got to remember, as in the days of Noah, our brain automatically tends to go after the flood. But as in the days of Noah was pre-flood. It was before the flood. So what we're seeing is, as in the days of Noah, there's going to be some activity upon the planet today like it was uh, before God destroyed uh, the earth uh, with water the first time. And so it's like, oh, okay, we've got some uh, pretty heavy stuff going on. Last week I went over 
something. Uh, the real you is eternal. I want to. I'm going to kind of pick up there again today. Uh, I've spoke about uh, what time time affects us. I spoke on uh, whatever has mass. Uh, time affects it. If it doesn't have mass, time tends not to affect it. And so, therefore, I made the statement uh, that we are already eternal beings. I also made the statement, uh, whether you're lost or saved, you're already an eternal being. Now, you're in a body and you have a brain, all that, which has mass, which time, um, uh, it, it comes under uh, this thing we call time. And so, therefore, time affects that that has mass. It affects our bodies, and we all get tend to get old and what have you. So, But the other part is there's part of us that time does not affect. And we kind of have it in our minds, okay, when I die, then my eternal, eternal state will start. Well, no, your soul and spirit's already eternal. So you, you, you're already in an eternal state. It's just that you have a body which has mass, so therefore time affects it. But there's a part of you that time does not affect. Uh, that's your soul and your spirit. Now, that does not mean that it cannot come under some type of effect. Right? It's just not time. So our soul and spirit can come under uh, uh, an effect, which equals an effect, uh, that, that has a... What goes on inside our soul and our, in our, with our spirit man is, uh, has everything to do with where we spend eternity. Now, we're eternal beings... We're already eternal, but there's a question out there. Okay, you're eternal, but where are you going to hang out for eternity is the question. Let me put it like that. And so there's in the an, an place of eternity that we start trying to figure out where we're going to hang out. So part of the part of Christianity and us going through this earth thing is so that we start lining ourselves up with where we're going to spend eternity. I've heard some people speak, uh, well, I know I'm going to be in hell and that's just the way it is, and I won't be with my buddies here, and I won't be with them in hell. And, and uh, I, I mean, I've heard that said, and it just makes me shudder at uh, uh, such, a, such a statement. But you've got to understand, any of us can make that statement without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What causes us to act and do like we do, it's when we've received the Holy Spirit of Christ has an effect on our eternal uh, state. And it just so happens eternity has already started for us is what we're trying to capture here. We're not waiting for it to start. It's already started. So now what, what are we doing now in here is we're studying God's Word, God's ways, His precepts, and in, in helping us to develop our eternal, eternal state while we're here on earth. And, and it just so happens our body occupies a lot of our time, right? We've got to maintain it. We've got to eat. We've got to do all these things. So our body takes up a lot of, the, of our maintenance. We've got to do a lot of maintenance on our body because it's affected uh, by time. But when the soul gets involved in wanting to do the maintenance on the body, uh, so you're trying to make a Cadillac out of a Volkswagen. I'll let you all figure that one out. And uh, then we're maybe carrying things too far, Right. So we can get preoccupied by our physical bodies, 
Uh, not that I don't think we need to have it presentable, because we do. But there's something about being preoccupied. And then you can be so preoccupied, you become obsessive about it. That's right. We can become possessive. And, and, and how do we know that the enemy is involved in our eternal, and what's going on in us eternal, is we know that the enemy is trying to take up our time here on earth to progress eternally with things that are temporal, the Apostle Paul says. And it's not that we don't maintain things that are temporal, but we can start focusing and obsessing on all of this stuff that time affects when the Scripture is saying, all right, you got to do due diligence on your body and, and because it's on the earth. But the issue is eternal things. Now, the reason I'm making a deal out of this is because as we move in today's teaching, you'll start seeing how that uh, as in the days of Noah, uh, the enemy and Satan is using everything uh, that is temporal that's a, of this earth. And so when I see what's going on on this earth, you know, I can see it and I say, okay, yeah, we're in the days of Noah and all that. But here's the deal. This is all temporal. Even the days of Noah are temporal. They're, they're not eternal. But God uses these temporal things to help mold us and, and to, uh, help to help to move us in a direction of an eternal being that thinks about eternal things. And it also helps us prioritize uh, what things we need to have priority on. That's all. So, now, the real you is eternal. The real you, soul and spirit, is software with no mass. You are in a body that has mass that is affected by time. And of course, that's what I just went over, and that's what we hit on heavy last week. And it's, it's important to understand that you are not your body. You have a body. That's what it is. You have a body. Peter, I heard Peter Lord say that 30-some years ago, I guess, or maybe 40 now. You, you are not your body. You have one. And uh, that's, that's our vehicle that we use uh, to motivate around this, this earth. Now, if you will, I'm going to call it your earthly avatar. That's, that's what your body is. It's your, your earthly avatar. Uh, and that we move around in. Uh, you have a body, but you are not your body. It is temporal and disposable. It has mass. Uh, the real you lives outside of time. Now, we say God lives outside of time, but the truth is we live outside of time. Uh, you are an eternal being, saved or not. The issue is where are you going to spend it? So that's, where, that's what we're working with here today. The real you is eternal and affects things. Now, watch this. You are, uh, who you are is affecting the world around you. So, so, so we see this part of the real you or the real us is this eternal being. You know, people are trying to find themselves, uh, transgenderism and all of these. Everybody's trying to change everything, trying to find themselves. But they're trying to find the temporal part of themselves. It's, it's the eternal part that's trying to be found. Not the temporal. So people think we can change something temporal so I can find myself. And can you see how the enemy now has so blurred all of these lines? Um, that, and there again, the goal is to keep people, uh, the part of the human that's eternal, from finding the answer, which is Jesus Christ. And we use the terminology Christ in you. We're going to go into what's called post-flood Nephilim. Now, there again, post-flood, we got uh, pre-flood Nephilim, and then we got post-flood Nephilim. 
we're going to be speaking about this in depth on the Smith and Roland show this afternoon, three o'clock, and Trevor Craig's going to be uh, with me. And uh, we're going to be uh, throwing a, I had me and a friend of mine, Jeff Roland, have a podcast show. It's called uh, Smith and Roland Show. You can go on most things and podcast and things and find it. And uh, But we're going to be speaking on this today uh, in great depth. Uh, Trevor has a better handle on He needs to be teaching this part, not me. Uh, but he has a much better handle on this than I do. But we're going to be speaking about this today, if you'd like to hear that at 3 o'clock. But we go into uh, post-flood Nephilim and the report of the spies. Everyone knows uh, this scripture about Israel. They were going into the promised land, and there was uh, they saw giants, some of Anak, which come of, uh, of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so uh, we were in their sight. So it, it's kind of hard for us to really grasp this idea there was really big people, I mean giants, and and, uh, you know, I, I think some of them are 11, 12 feet tall, but I also think some were probably 25 or 30 feet. And uh, uh, some people have problems with that. I think pre-flood, it's not any problem with handling that. And a lot of these big structures that you see that are built, everybody's trying to figure out how a 200-pound uh, man can lift a rock. Uh, well, he can't, but a 2,000-pound man can do a whole lot. So anyway, we get, we got all this, and there again, you might find out this afternoon if you watch the show. So uh, now Numbers 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, uh, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. And the point being is they saw these giants, and we know that this is post-flood. Also, we want to consider... The Nephilim don't have to just be uh, giants, and uh, I'm not going to redo the teaching, but Nephilim is the fallen angels um, you know, sleeping with uh, women on the earth, producing a hybrid offspring, which, uh, which the Bible calls Nephilim. And we went in all of that in past teaching. And then I got into what uh, transhumanism, I uh, call it the new hybrids. Or Nephilim is a hybrid. Transhumanism is a type of thinking. Uh, where we're trying to produce uh, uh, this superhuman, if you will. And uh, transhumanism is a social and uh, philosophical movement devoted to promoting the research and development of robust human enhancement technologies. Such technologies would augment or increase human sensory reception, emotive ability or cognitive capacity, as well as radically improve human health and extend human life uh, span. So all of the stuff as far as transhumanism is concerned, it's, it's hooking something else up with, a, and I went over all of that, and, uh, Elon Musk is uh, producing a microchip to put in the brain to help uh, a lot of diseases. They're thinking all kinds of stuff, and I, uh, you know, I'm interested in making things uh, better. And, and, and also you can say, well, could that be the mark of the beast or not? Uh, well, I mean, of course it could be, uh, or something like that. It's not that it's, uh, but a microchip in the implanted in the brain, that in itself is not a Nephilim, is my point. Uh, that's not with uh, maybe evil intent. You see what I'm saying? Now, could it be the, the precursor or something? Of course it could. 
Now we're going to get into this. You know, we went into artificial intelligence. Intelligence. Now, here's what I'm not wanting you necessarily to catch artificial intelligence. We've already been over all that. But it's blurring the distinctions between man and machine. For example, and you can say, well, Alan, that'll never happen to me. Well, how many people can will panic when they leave home without their phone? Right? I mean, you'll just go into a total panic. You know, where? oh, no, I left my phone. Where is it? And uh, in all honesty, I've, I, if I... If I would seek God as, as much as I've tried to f seek and find my phone, I would I would really be doing well. Uh, because at 69, almost 70, it's amazing how many times I lay it down and forget where I put it. So I'm always trying to run after this thing. I, I have a love-hate relationship with my phone. I have you know, uh, I like it and I hate it at the same time. Because I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have to worry with them, you see. But... What happens is we're blurring the distinctions between man and machine. So let's just take the cell phone for as an example. Uh, I'm at, I run a business, have 20-some people working. And uh, I had a day here a few weeks ago. I, I was walking over through the business and through wagon machines and milking cows and, and, and all these people working, just walking through. A lot of times it makes a difference when the owner walks through. And um, everybody's on their best behavior. But as I, it just so happens that day, everywhere I went, everybody was looking at your phone. If you have, I don't mind somebody looking at your phone every now and then. But if you've got 20 people and they're all looking at their phone for five minutes, that's, that's a lot of looking at, you know, that's a lot of, and it's not that they look at it five minutes a day. It's, it's every 15 minutes they're looking at their phone a day. And, and you can say, well, uh, well, Alan, that doesn't hurt anything. Well, yes, it does hurt something if you're, if you're paying somebody to perform a task. So you start wondering, well, what? But my point is, it's amazing how much, and, and, and the phone usage thing, and especially at work, this is increasing. When everybody first got them, it wasn't much to it. Everybody, you didn't mind it. But I've noticed, in the, even in the last six months, that how much increase of the usage, um, and, I, and I've, you know, I went up to probably half, because they didn't know I was there, of course, and I'd look and say, what are you looking at? You know, just like I didn't fuss at them, really. Just like like I was interested, and um, uh, nine out of ten was just watching uh, uh, TikTok reels. That's that's right, just watching TikTok reels. You know, that's something that you know it's just something different every what so many minutes or seconds or something. And uh, so I'm like, so as I'm observing it from a spiritual standpoint, I'm like, what in? A, a TikTok reel. What is so addictive about people looking at their phones and looking at various, you know, somebody fishing or somebody jumping off a cliff or somebody, you know, whatever. And so, but there's something addictive, uh, spiritual nature that's capturing humans uh, to a point they'll even cease from work every 15 minutes or 10 to look at it. So therefore, I make this statement, blurring the distinctions between man and machine. We are not far from there. We are there. And it is capturing humans. Now, that should worry you. You know, people, uh, people we're worried about a lot of things, but nobody's worried about being captured by a machine. And I'm just saying... Uh, it's after, uh, there's something out there that's not God that's trying to capture uh, you as an audience. And so I'm saying that it has a very dangerous component uh, to it. And uh, we don't have today time today to get into all the reasons I believe that.
but perhaps perhaps we will. But the point being is everything that's out here now, and y'all have heard me do the distinctions thing, everything's trying to blur uh, distinctions. Uh, uh, having the ability to make distinctions is the key to seeing truth. You see, if you, if you uh, true science, and I'm a long way from a scientist, but I can read, a true science is trying to discover something, and you're always open to 100% criti criticism. Uh, the criticism is part of science. That's what makes you develop and discover. Uh, that's, that is true science. That's the virtue of true science is criticism. In other words, you look at different angles, different ways you can do things, and every true scientist uh, welcomes uh, cons this constructive-type criticism. Because it's, it's in the quest of discovery. Uh, but this day and time, it's like if you have another, and let me say this, it's also that type thinking is part of the bedrock of, 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 our, uh, of the United States. And that's what we call freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is a type of uh, everybody giving their ideas or whatever it can be completely opposite of yours. Uh, but yet we believe it, that it takes this, this uh, level of freedom to, uh, to, dis to find truth because as everybody shares something, you make distinctions in what everybody's saying. And it just so happens, and the reason I compare that with science, when you do that, you'll come out with truth. It, it, hammers, it hammers out the truth. But what's going on today is distinctions as a way of, call it reasoning or if you will, or just, uh, as I call it a spiritual tool, uh, being able to make distinctions is the key to me to all truth. And, and you don't have blurred lines. I think I've got a little example here. Uh, science makes a distinction based on life versus non-life. You can talk to Trevor about that, but it makes a distinction. Uh, it, it has a distinction on life versus uh, non-life. And that's the reason some, you know, when you get into the idea of abortion, you know, when is it alive? Uh, uh, you know, what, at what point uh, uh, are you alive or whatever? I saw a t-shirt the other day. I was just trying to remember. It said, uh, uh, I survived being a fetus. I think it said some type of t-shirt. I'm like, wow. I, uh, but, but there's a distinction based on life versus non-life. Let me say it like this. The physical chemistry can be the same in life or non-life, right? The, the physical and uh, the, the chemistry of something that can be life or non-life can be the same. And I'll give you this little example here. Uh, many define the cells as the smallest unit of life, as a cell. But, but okay, it's the smallest, they would say, many scientists, that's the, that is the smallest unit of life. All right, but you can take a cell apart. And if you take a cell apart, you have the same chemistry makeup, but, but in, its, in those single components, when you take it apart, it's not alive. So where in the world does, does life chemically, uh, physically it's the same stuff, but here it's not life and over here it is life. You see, but it's, but it's got the same uh, makeup. Although the pieces that make up a cell follow the same laws of uh, physics and chemistry, those pieces aren't defined as being alive. So, so we got science has this problem with what makes something alive. Okay, that's that's and so that's the reason the argument of abortion is 
uh, is, is an argument. But, but the truth is, we know that the cells of a fetus, as it said, we know that they're alive. So we, there's actually, you just have to deny truth uh, when it comes to that. You have to deny science when it comes to that. Okay. I have a reason for saying all that. The goal is to blur reality into virtual reality. So we got all of the virtual stuff, which we've been over in past teachings. We've got all these virtual realities. Now, virtual reality, there again, we're trying to blur the lines. That's our, one of our main goals here today, is to understand we're blurring lines. And when you blur lines, you can have mistaken identity. Are you with me? When you blur lines, you can have mistaken identity. And you might scientifically have all these components over here of a living cell when you take it apart, uh, but that when you take them apart, it doesn't, they're, they're then not a cell anymore. So you have, you, and, and so, but this is still a cell, the components, but it's not alive. So you got this, but my point is this huge thing of being alive. Now, Things in the natural is the same as things in the spirit. It's just, it's just giving us a picture of it. You didn't really start, you didn't really come alive until you were born again. It, it, it was then that something started happening that made you really alive. You, you, in other words, we went from death to life. Now, just keep that in mind as we go here. Here's a virtual meaning, almost or nearly, but not completely or accordingly uh, to strict uh, definition. Virtual reality uh, means it's almost, uh, you're almost there. A counterfeit uh, meaning is made in exact uh, uh, imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. That has everything to do with this spiritual world we're in. Everything. I mean, the main thing is uh, false information, misinformation. I mean, how many different terms have they given to a lie, right? It's amazing I, how many new new terms would come up. No, that's a lie. No, that, that's true. So, so that's where you need to be able to make a distinction. Uh, misinformation sounds better, right? It, it doesn't sound as... Uh, doesn't sound like it's quite as intimidating as 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 the Bible would say it's a lie. So now the Nephilim spirit is constantly trying to produce a super soldier. Now the Nephilim spirit, the side, the dark side here, is trying to produce what I'm calling a super soldier. That's what the Nephilim were. Uh, they're again pre-flood. I think uh, those beings then were very 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 smart. I don't think they were very, very, very dumb. I mean, if, if you've ever, uh, uh, I like these archaeology uh, channels and clips, and I'm, I look at all of them all the time. It's just amazing to me the artifacts and the things that are being uh, found now. I mean, I mean, you go to India and all these temples and uh, uh, things that were built in India, probably pre-flood. Uh, it's just, I mean, here you got a big mountain, a big rock. And they have carved out temples and cities out of that rock of all of these amazing art and buildings. And I, it's all out of the same rock. I don't, they didn't carve a rock and then stack it on a rock like they did in Rome. 
These are all out of the same... Everything in the building is connected because it's the same rock. I don't know if that seems... That seems amazing to me. It It just blows my mind. How in the world did that happen? I mean, just look up some archaeology stuff and uh, the quick place to go to to see some of the most incredible is India. And uh, some of them are temples to whatever, but to see how they were built, uh, I mean, man could not duplicate that today. It couldn't come close. Uh, Duplicating what happened. So somebody had to be around and smarter than we are right now. It's just, it's just the way, just the way it is. So to think that it, humanity is evolving to a, we're smarter now because we can create uh, the internet that doesn't work but two thirds of the time. Uh, I don't think we need to brag too much yet. You see, but I mean, some of this stuff in archaeology is just—I mean, it just takes my breath away on what has happened as far as as that's concerned. Now, but but the idea here is uh, trying to produce a super soldier, a superhuman, or super... That's the idea of, of Satan. That's the idea of the Nephilim. Uh, their goal is to replicate, uh, have replication of manipulated hybrids. The lie is you will have superior strength and that you are on the path to immortality. So anything we have that's, uh, that's um, trying to entice our flesh, these masses, these things that are temporal in which our soul is, is kind of the, uh, the head, head guru, uh, you will become a god or be part of those controlling uh, the earth. Now, this spirit is out here now. I call it the spirit of Nephilim. Call it whatever you want to. But uh, we are all can plug into this or unplug. But this idea is to be part of controlling the earth. It is accomplished by blurring the boundaries of reality. Now, that's my main point. Blurring the lines of reality. That is an issue. Uh, I think uh, last week I went over blurring lines of reality is done by our perceptions. Uh, what we have a perception of, we tend to see the world through our perceptions, and perceptions are an observation and interpretation based chiefly on memory. So all of us have a memory of good times, of bad times, and we tend to see the world through our own personal events, and we create what's called a, per, uh, a perception. So therefore, since we've all got our perceptions, it's hard to really see a true reality without a bias of your perception. Uh, so what do we do? We have to trust someone other than ourselves. And, and as Christians, we choose to, to follow God and His Word. When we blur these lines, we have opened ourselves up to the spirit of what I call the Nephilim. Now, uh, does God limit boundaries? Now, this is interesting. We got all this stuff going on. Now, God's allowing all this for sure, but He gets to a place He'll He'll limit things. Now, God will limit uh, human arrogance. Now, God handles a lot of stuff, but there's something about arrogance He just doesn't like. He 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 just He just doesn't. We can do a lot of things. That's the reason humility is a big thing uh, with God. Uh, in Genesis eleven four, and they said, "Go, let us make uh, build a city of the tower." whose top may reach into the heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Uh, so go, let us come down. Uh, he said. He went on to say in verse 7, 8, and confound their languages that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from upon the face of the earth, and they left off to the build the city. Now, but in the days of Noah, everybody was speaking the same language. Point being... 
uh, we are approaching a day that language is not much of a barrier anymore. Now, believe it or not, uh, uh, to scatter us around so we wouldn't come together and try to create this godlike uh, beings that we that's in the destined, uh, the, the fallen state of man, uh, God's, uh, what's been our, part of our saving grace is our separation. Now, uh, now we're getting to the place, and that's the reason, uh, like a lot of people are into this globalism stuff. I'm not, not, a lot of it's not for the same reasons. I'm just not into globalism because I know that God scattered us for our own protection. And so do I believe in countries that have their own sovereignty and everything? The answer is yes, I, th I think we should. When you start trying to do away with those lines, they again blur uh, the, the countries from each other and have a one world government. I think it's a, uh, hugely a bad idea. And we can see today that uh, if Russia invades Ukraine, they can't ship corn out of Ukraine and wheat, then all of a sudden the whole world's in a panic uh, of something that's happening over, over there. And why? It's because the whole, we're, on, we're trying to head towards globalism, which is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, and that globalism is not healthy. It's not good for us because somebody can have a hiccup in, in, in Russia and it'll affect you in uh, the United States or in Europe or a lot of other countries. So therefore, we're not for that. Uh, God would not let man do just anything he wanted to do. That was the point of that. God. Uh, now, the Nephilim spirit is consistently trying to produce a super soldier. Uh, God is producing also a supernatural soldier. Are you with me? Now, now this is important. God, there's, I've told you, it's part of us that's eternal. And that eternal part of us is the supernatural part of us. Our supernatural side's not to be a natural. Right? We're, we're to be supernatural mindset, not a natural mindset. Uh, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a power of love and that of a sound mind. King Solomon said it best, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, uh, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, there were giants or Nephilim in the earth in those days, and it, and it goes on to this part. What I'm going for is after that. We are living in the now of the after that. It, it says there in that verse, the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came. So there were giants, but also there was a time of an after that that were also the Nephilim. Now, there, I am heading somewhere, which is obvious I'm not going to get there today, on, on why this is so important. Satan has a strategy to corrupt Adam's line, number one. Number two, God told Abraham that his seed is the divine line. So Satan set out to destroy Abraham's seed, to destroy the male line. He tried that in Exodus 1. You know the stories. Pharaoh set out to destroy the children of Israel. You know that story in Exodus 14. Satan tried to kill Jesus. We know that in Matthew. Uh, then Herod, when he saw uh, he was mocked of the wise men and was exceedingly wroth, he sent forth to all the children that were in Bethlehem. So you know the story. Uh, Satan's strategy of always trying to corrupt the, the divine line that Jesus, the Messiah, would come through. So you got in the, well, I think I got the verse up here. Uh, the book, Satan's trying to destroy these, basically these two main covenants. It's the book of uh, uh, generations of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David and the son of who? 
of Abraham. Now, when your New Testament, Matthew, when it opens up, it's, it, why does it open up the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son, son of Abraham? God made two basic covenants. One's to David and one's to Abraham. Uh, the one to Abraham, he said, your seed. He, he's talking about the seed of Abraham. We'll cover the, the covenant he made to David was he was, uh, was going to give him a king to sit on this land to rule and reign from. So these are two major covenants that God made with the earth and with Israel, and Satan's trying to destroy them. That's, uh, that's just places where he's trying to destroy the covenant. Now, uh, the nature of angels, uh, they always appear in human form. Sodom and Gomorrah, resurrection, they were there in human form. They spoke, they ate meals. Uh, they were, of course, capable of physical contact. We know of several times one soldier killed thousands. Uh, they're also referred to in the masculine. Uh, that might hurt some people's feelings, but so what? And, and they don't marry. Now, <clears throat> i got just a few minutes, and I'm trying to get there. Uh, the demons are different from angels, seem to be powerless unless they enter someone. So we can be affected by demons, or we can be possessed by a demon, uh, believe it or not, the, the end result's about the same, so I wouldn't be too worried about being, uh, well, I guess maybe one's a little worse, but uh, demons always are seeking embodiment. You see, a demon can't feel life unless it lives it through us. So they, that's what addictions are. It's just uh, addiction is, you're not an addiction. There's a disembodied demon trying to live life through you, and it's convincing you, you are your addiction. Oh, this is the way I am. No, it's not the way you are. As a demon's trying to convince us, and that's another day. Now, what happened to the Nephilim when they uh, drowned in the flood? Uh, angels are spirit beings, good chance disembodied angels. Spirits are demons seeking embodiment. Uh, we also know there was a place designed for these, uh, a lot of these angels also. Now, the main point... He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. So here we see, this is what I call, I call the first warfare. We have, we, it's the warfare of two seeds here. Conflict between two seeds, the seed of a woman and the seed of the serpent. So now here, here's the deal. And, I'm, and, and here's, here's what's going on. This is the huge deal. The enemy is trying to blur lines. He's trying to blur distinctions. Today on this planet, people do, they're running around everywhere. They don't know who they are, right? So we got all of this trans stuff going. We got all of, now, what's doing that? It's that in the days of Noah, these spirits are going to be running after uh, humans. We have that happening. So as, as Christians, it's important that we know who we are. We're not to be confused. And I've got other scripture I'll have to hit next week, but all this stuff of, of how this battle of you losing your personal identity, it's after you. What's a midlife crisis? Somebody says, oh, no, I don't want my husband. I don't want my wife. I, 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 I didn't get to live out my years as a teenager. So now, all of a sudden, I want to go live out my years, and I want to divorce my wife, my husband, my family, and I want to go, to go, to go. It's misidentity. You're not 18 anymore. That time's gone. You can't go back to it. But you're trying to regain an identity of something past. That's, that's what that is. Now, I want to just read this one little story uh, before I end. 
Now, this is about knowing who you are. And it just so happens if you know who you are, you know where you're going. Uh, the better you know who you are, the better you know where you're going. Uh, the less you know who you are, the less you know about where you're going. But this is about Billy Graham, and I'll close with this. And, uh, and uh, this was in January of 2000. Leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited the aging Billy Graham to a luncheon in his honor. I think he was around 90 at that time. Because of his struggles with Parkinson's, he hesitated to accept the invitation, but reluctantly agreed when they said, we don't expect a major address, just come and let us honor you. After uh, wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped uh, to the roster, looked at the crowd and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by the Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein, uh, he said, was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find a ticket, so he reached in his trousers. It wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase but couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein, Einstein, he nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great uh, physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Mr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are, no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> Having said that, Billy Graham continued, See the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren are telling me I've uh, gotten a little slack in my old age. I used to be more... Uh, in style. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is, he said. This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I know who I am, and I also know where I'm going. That's the question. Do you know who you are, and do you know where you're going? You say, well, Alan, all this teaching, it doesn't mean much. It means a lot, because it's to help you in knowing who you are in Christ. And that's a big deal, because we're living in a time, as in the days of Noah, that the enemy is trying to destroy identities so you can be reprogrammed. That's what's going on. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this day, O oh God. I ask and pray, O oh God, these things that I've taught, that they're of you and of your word. Anything I said is not of you, I pray it will fall to the ground. But Lord Jesus, I do ask and pray that if anything that I've said is of you, I ask and pray, O oh God, that it will be quickened to our hearts and to our spirits. It would change us.
It would help us understand who we are. And it's my prayer, O oh God, that we'll identify with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.